alive. How do we know she is alive? I hate when people talk during the movie. No wire hangers ever. You are tearing me apart, Lisa. Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. Relax. It's all in bad taste. Hello and welcome to the Bad Taste Buds pod. I'm just going to let Jack do it from now on. Hey. I've got my actual intro now because I've been practicing this. Water. Damn it, you piece Fire. of shit. <laughs> is that it? Is that it? It's so predictable, man. Water, earth, fire, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when M. Night Shyamalan attacked. <laughs> Only the Bad Taste Buds, master of crap, can rid him a new arsehole and tear his film to shreds. I was kind of, I was kind of hoping you were gonna do the insane clown posse one instead with Which water, ones? fire, earth, and dirt. Fucking magnets. How do they work? <laughs> How do they work? <laughs> Welcome to the Bad Taste Buds, guys. The podcast where we make sure the people who shat all over your favorite childhood cartoon face swift and severe punishment. <laughs> yep. Another week, another bastardization of a loved IP. We uh, we're doing Last Airbender, by the way. The M Night Shyamalan bastardization of the beloved Nickelodeon classic created by Michael DiMartino and Brian. Yetsko. This was something that's very near and dear to all of our hearts, I know for a fact. Like, we, I actually didn't end up watching this until I was in uni. Ryan, you were the one who introduced this to me. Everyone's here, I'm by the sorry way. for that as Everyone's well. here, so yeah, Ryan's here. They call me Mr. Glass. But you can call me Ong. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and Hannah's here. Hey. And Jack is here as well. Don't feed the Unagi. I'm just sitting here like, I don't know what's happening. I'm sure this is... You know what the Unagi is? Salmon skin roll. It's... <laughs> yeah, it's type of fish, right? It looks like a Gyarados. Yes. The coast of Kyushu Island. We all really like this show, but I'm probably the least... No- and I'm definitely the least knowledgeable about it. These guys have been rattling off. Show, not movie. Oh, yeah. So the, the TV show, um, which came out in 2004... There's no movie in Barsing, so. <laughs> All right, we're just getting all of these out of the way now. <laughs> yeah, is anyone else got any quotes they want to rattle off while we're here? Right, so yeah, today we're talking about M. Night's Just When You Think... I I couldn't make anything worse than happening Shyamalan he comes along and makes The Last Airbender which before we fully get into The Last Airbender deep dive I think we might all need a quick history lesson on M. Night Shyamalan just to get I mean you two I know, definitely need a history lesson so M. Night is he, he's an Indian American filmmaker and he started to achieve notoriety around the early 90s the mid 90s with his directorial debut Praying With Anger which I don't know anyone who's seen this movie I, no. I, I knew it's a super low budget movie that he himself stars in so I think that's the origins of him kind of making his cameos in his movies he always kind of wanted to be a bit of an actor director kind of type um, and he's not made to be an actor I mean you saw him in Signs didn't you like his, he was the preacher in Signs <laughs> he was possible but he was he's nothing like, special yeah. no nothing special at all and you see that that's kind of a running theme in his films he rates himself as a bit of an actor Fast forward to his pretty forgettable sophomore film, Wide Awake, and we get to the year 1999, which for a lot of people, one of the greatest years in cinema history. You have films like The Matrix, The Iron Giant, The Mummy. This was like a seminal year for films. Uh, And in late November that year, one little ghost story on a budget uh, of only 40 million comes out. And that little film is The Sixth Sense. And it took the world by absolute fucking storm. People still talk about that to this day. Like, I see dead people is one of the most quotable lines. (laughs) You called it a sixth cent. About seven times. Sixth cent. I think this is genuinely a word I can't say. Because seven, eight, nine. <laughs> I can't say the word sense. Sense. Sen- sen- sense. But when you add the word six in front of it, it's fucking difficult. Six. And a s- sixth sense. It is a bit of a. It's a fuck up. It's a, yeah. six sense. You fucked up there, didn't you? <laughs> Shyamalan was immediately thrust into stardom after that movie. Like, he was the poster boy for the early 2000s directorial scene. I remember being a wee sprog obsessed with this guy, uh, similar to Kelly. And yep. Donnie Darko. That, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> that accent happened. <laughs> well, the Sixth Sense and Unbreakable were two of those films that I was completely obsessed with. I'm um, still obsessed with Unbreakable. Yeah. I will watch Unbreakable right now and thank you for the experience. I mean, they're both absurdly brilliant films in their own right. Unbreakable being one of the most underrated superhero films of all time. But a lot of what they hinge on, a lot of what made M. Night the household name that he is is the brilliance of their twists. And this is where he was kind of pigeonholed, I think. Didn't you say that his name is sort of like used as a... A Shyamalanian twist. That's yeah. what a lot of people call it. There's yeah. a Rick and Morty that episode a- called M. Night Shyamalmalians yeah. or something. Yeah. Like that. It's a simulation inside of a simulation inside <laughs> of a simulation. He's famous because of his twist, which I think is a really tricky position to be in as a it director. It's a lot of pressure on how, someone. How do you follow up two staggeringly successful films? With The Happening. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, The Happening came a lot later. Uh, so what he, he goes and makes what I think is 90% a perfect film with signs, 
really, really tense, really scary. And then again, he thinks he has to add a twist in the end. Only here, the twist is falls on its face. And God, don't forget it's also Water God. And God. Is he religious? I, a lot of his films deal with religious uh, like aspects and implications and stuff. The fate of humanity and stuff like that. I think there are some religious elements there, but I'm not sure to, to what So extent. in 10 years, we're definitely going to find him starting the cult. For all intents and purposes, science should be one of the best films of all time, and yet you have that ending akin to just perfect ways to fuck up a perfect movie. Yeah. And I, I think that's really where his downfall began, and then we, we kind of fast-forward a few years and we have The Last Airbender, which is him trying something completely different, and it fucks up even worse. It fucks up, up even harder. I think what science does really well, I think uh, typically in the horror trope, as soon as you see the creature, it's no longer scary. Oh, 100%. And there's so many great like scenes where the music's incredibly tense, but you're just looking at the actors reacting yeah. to the monster yeah. rather than seeing it for yourself. And you're seeing Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix just be like, fuck. Or Bruce this Willis thing. if you're Hannah. Yeah, well, <laughs> sorry for context there. Hannah's went, hey, he really likes Bruce Willis, doesn't he? Podcast, guys. <laughs> And uh, to be fair, he does really like Bruce Willis, but Hannah thought at the time Mel Gibson was Bruce Willis. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It was late. I'd have made the mistake. Maybe. You would have. <laughs> but yeah, I think a common horror trope is as soon as you see the scary thing, it's no longer scary. Yeah, 100%. And I think the the baiting and the, the pacing of that continued the fear aspect really mm. well with that. You only ever saw snippets or snapshots of the thing yeah. and it helped build that tension there. Whereas normally, once you've seen the monster in a horror film, it's no longer scary. It's the Steven Spielberg thing. It's the Jaws thing. As soon as you show the shark, you, you want to hide it. You, you the, the, the audience envisions the shark twice as big if you don't show us it. Um, but absolutely, we look at the, we, we kind of look at the film that films that preceded it as well. You have the the village, which is a hokey bullshit twist and super boring. Lady in the Water, another fucking terrible nuts, impossible to comprehend film. The Happening, which is actually one of my favorite movies of all time because it's completely absurd and completely. This is one we're going to cover on the podcast because it, it was definitely the one that kind of tanked his career as far as those suspense films go. I think The Happening was the one before. Last Airbender, actually. It was the, the penultimate film that he did in his style, and it's so bad. If you, you're excited to watch Mark Wahlberg talk to plants for an hour and a half, that's the film for you. Um, the guy fully lost his groove, and The Last Airbender might have been his biggest diversion of his career. Has he done much good since? He came back. He did actually come back after Last Airbender. He did a film called After Earth, which was a basically a Will Smith project, which was the Scientologist movie. Yeah, really bad. That. A film called The Visit, which really, really kind of um, brought him back into, oh, there is a ray of hope for this guy. Maybe he can. Because, again, it's a very low budget, very simple plot. There is a twist in it, but the twist was well thought out. It works. It's interesting. And again, it's it's low budget and it, it lends to the kind of atmosphere that he creates. And then he fucked it up again with Glass. So, you know, he's definitely one of the more interesting directors to follow the career of. He's almost an enigma in the sense that you can't quite place whether he's one of the best directors of all time or just absolutely atrocious. <laughs> 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 N- Nicholas Cage of directors. Literally, it's, it depends on the day whether or not you're getting a good Shyamalan film or a bad Shyamalan It's been film. a long time since I've been excited for one of his movies. But yeah, and yeah, Today is not that day, though. It's not that day. I would, but then again, if he came out one, I would watch it the day of release. I, I am that kind of guy who would just be drawn straight to watch it because there's something so curious about the way he makes films. What is he? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a massive M Night fan. Um, I learned a few days ago, I think it was like two days ago, when I texted you two that you guys haven't seen anything that M Night's done, and well, I'm just baffled. That's not quite true. I've seen anything <laughs> before yesterday. Yeah, I've seen Split. Yeah. And the 1999 classic Stuart Little. Which you which wrote, 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 by the way. I didn't direct. I okay. didn't know that. Yeah, apparently, well, I typed in M. Night Shyamalan films and Stuart Little came up. I think on he, was the, like a, uh, yeah, he was like a co-writer and a producer of that one. As far as M. Night fanboys in the room, I will go on record to say that I'm a massive fanboy. Obviously, his debut, his debut success, it was his third film in his career, but the, the 1999 Sixth Sense. Stuart uh, Little, you mean. <laughs> I hate you. Um, was kind of his catapult into success i'll say it, it turned him into kind of an overnight success it was the one that kind of brought him to the forefront and he was kind of lauded as being one of the two watch directors for the longest time and then obviously he kind of followed that up with unbreakable which is a massive cult hit and then he followed up with signs which is one of my all-time favorite horror films up until the very <laughs> end obviously and this was kind of when we obviously. saw the the beginning of the end for the career of m night Shyamalan. Now, this is I, where i demoted him he stopped being m night Shyamalan, became m night Shyamalan. Me and Hannah, you, you don't get the dot. <laughs> me and Hannah literally just watched that last night in preparation. Yeah, because I made board. you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, I was, I was browsing what to watch, and I was like, ooh, Shazam's on Amazon Prime now. But no, we have to watch another fucking oh, M.I. Shyamalan sad. film and do my homework. Shazam's so much better. Uh, you know what? 
Signs was an 8 out of 10, maybe a 9 out of 10 for three quarters of the film. And then the last 15 minutes were just a complete fucking shit show. It is notoriously one of the worst endings in film history. That and War of the Worlds often go together as far as like, what kind of bargain basement kindergarten bullshit do you think I'm <laughs> I'm buying into? The here? shittiest like, Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, well, there's this, this, this like lazy, I don't know how to end my film, so I don't know, water. Just water. Yes, I think he the, must have looked the around the room. The alien population that's allergic to water is going to visit a planet that's seventy percent water. And what was it that you said? What do they what do? What happens when it, when it rains? <laughs> they bring umbrellas. Or what happens when, like, I don't know, a kid with a fucking super soaker splashes water and it's like, oh, well, that's how we do. It. You don't need the army. Just get arm it. the children. Arm the children. Yeah, they lived outside his fucking house for weeks. So you're telling me it didn't rain once? Well, this is the thing. So obviously, Six Sense was one of the greatest successes in cinema history. Let's say on a budget of like forty million, I think they made Six Sense on it made like 800 million back so it almost like wow. I don't even know what that's math I can't do like that's how well it did um, so he was kind of catapulted straight away and then there were magazines I remember reading magazines at the time that were kind of uh, lauding him as the next coming of Steven Spielberg and this was the one to watch and he had a shit ton of pressure on his shoulders and I think a lot of what made his later films train wreck cinema almost with with those terrible endings was the the weight on his shoulders was the pressure to kind of live up to the expectations of his first film. That he had to give a twist. That he had to give a twist because that's what yeah. made him who he was. So obviously Sixth Sense, one of the most iconic twists. If you haven't seen it by now, you're <laughs> Hannah and Jack. But um, <laughs> I feel like I've seen it. I, know, I seen feel like I know it, all of the major plot hooks and punches and the big yeah. twist at the end. So I feel like I'm not going to waste two hours. Signs was definitely the beginning of the end because as you as you guys say, it's one of my favorite, it probably would have been my favorite M night film had it not had that bullshit 10 minutes at the end. It was, it was like brilliant to be fair. Most of the way through, like the acting was great. The directing was great. Like the film, like the, how, how they filmed it was, was great. Like it's it was movie. the, the, the script was great, yep. and then they just get to the next, like, last 10 minutes, and it's like, they go, ah, just, just chuck some water on them and be done with it. And it it's God like, is real and aliens are allergic to water. Oh! And, <laughs> as, as M. Night Layman's, you then probably won't know kind of what was to follow either, because Signs was just the beginning. If we're talking about true train wrecks, you have to follow it up with things like The Village, which might have these stupid, somehow <laughs> even stupider ending. I won't ruin it in case you do end, end up watching The Village at some point, but it... Those of you who, who are listening who've watched The Village, you're probably aware of the ending. Again, it just seems like he was trying to follow it up with, I'm the twist guy, I've got to... Well, I think the, the overall movie is dull. Yeah, the, the, village. The, village is the, the Village is the first one where the actual film itself, quality-wise, really dips, because it it just feels like the entire film is based on the twist, rather than, like, he, he's not really bothered about the first 90 minutes that happened, he's only bothered about that last 10 minutes, and it's, it's, it's kind of definitely... You start to see his exterior as a as the next big thing start to crumble, I think, and then he follows it up with Lady in the Water. It, it goes to the point where he, he can't really make much as far as um, box office returns at that point. This is where you really see him kind of slip into a director who is not a bankable name anymore. But I think that's see? always the case when you've got someone who delivers something absolutely phenomenal. I mean, look at the, the Donnie Kelly. Darko's, yeah. yeah, Richard Kelly, and, and you try and constantly live up to that bar that you've set yourself so early on. It's not something that you've built up to. It's like your sort of defining thing, and it's come so early on that you spend the rest of your career trying to almost catch a goalpost that you just, yeah. is it's not there. Like, See, the only one I've seen, other than the classic Stuart Little 1990. <laughs> so you're going to spend the same um, podcast talking about Stuart Little. No, maybe. Um, Brad, Brad the two, he could take Stuart Little. No, but let's, let's, <laughs> that's a tangent I'm not willing to go down right now. Um, but no, the only one for me that was like another, other than signs that we saw last night was the, I don't know when it came out, 2014 or, or so. It was like 2014, 2015, yeah. Um, which, again. Oh, schizophrenic one, right? Yeah, was so it? there's going to be spoilers for this one, yeah, I think. spoiler alert. Um, it, I don't think it, it wasn't advertised as a kind of sequel or whatever to yeah. Unbreakable. It was presented as this big case study on this guy with multiple personality disorders. It yeah. looked like it was deep diving into sort of mental health um, and a bit of a bit of a sort of psychological horror film at mm. times. And I was like, right, I'm, I'm totally bought on board for this. And it was great. And again, just like the last 15 minutes or something, it just completely went off the fucking rails. So yeah. again, I'm, I'm going to spoil this film. So, you know, tune, <laughs> tune you. It's too late now. Yeah, fuck it. You know, it's been out seven years. Yeah, you know, you, got, you should have seen it by now if you were going to. But I, uh, James McAvoy, you know, is this multiple personalities. And then all of a sudden he's fucking crawling up walls and like he's actually <laughs> like one of his personalities. They refer to throughout the film as the beast. The beast yeah. And it turns out like he is superhuman strength <laughs> and things when he's in this form. And it's just like, oh, fuck off. You know, it was <laughs> like it, it, it just feels 
a incredibly insensitive from a mental health perspective. Oh, but, yeah. and, and and again, like it it was just a shitty twist. I yeah. feel like yeah. it like what sold the film was that sort of grounded approach, that really sort of close quarters, sort of psychological intense scariness yeah. of like what's he gonna do next? He's like, you know, this kind of very unstable, unpredictable character. And then he just fucking hulks out at the end. And it's just and then just ruins all of the immersion. And then you just see Bruce Willis in a fucking coffee shop at the end of it or something, and then that's why yeah. it's linked well, to the, the others. Link. Yeah, it's a the... good it's a good actor in a bad movie. Like I wanna give a shout out to James McAvoy. Oh, his performance oh, yeah. is exceptional, yeah, all the way through. Loves yeah, McAvoy. It's well filmed. This is this is the problem because for me, M. Night or Manite, whatever we're gonna call him <laughs> at any given time, he's a phenomenal director and he knows his way around a camera, he knows where he knows how to build tension, he knows how to direct actors. He just seems, again, a little bit like Kelly, like he is often too ambitious or just hung up and, and, and kind of trips over his own ambition mm-hmm. or his own kind of self-doubt almost. And I do feel like, Jack, you're absolutely right with Split, this really cool movie that has the potential to be a really grounded, really tense horror film that he's like, actually, I'm going to tie it into my superhero universe that I'm going to build. I'm like, dude, dude, calm down. No, 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 you, you're doing well. You're doing so well. <laughs> so is that, is that the trilogy? Is it a superhero so Yeah, It so starts with Unbreakable, which was a 2001, I think, that came out. And that was the one that came out first. Yeah, and then, then he followed up with Split a full 15 years after, which, again, it, it didn't tie in until the last 10 minutes. That's what Jack is saying. It, it, they do this this big reveal at the end where Bruce Willis's character from Unbreakable shows up at a coffee shop so um, was that in itself meant to be a twist? So it was kind yeah. of, yeah, Split was kind of sold as this sort of psychological film and then it turns out it's basically just a supervillain origin story in a nutshell because <laughs> yeah. then they move on to a film called Glass which ties the two together. Which is also apparently dire. Glass is very boring. Glass is dull as dishwater. Glass was the, um, meant to be kind of the finale of this trilogy and it was meant to bring all these characters together. Um, obviously, Mr. Glass, um, Samuel L. Jackson's character from Unbreakable, is he was probably the standout from that film and he was the one everyone gravitates towards. He was such a good villain. He is born to made of glass um, and he caused... He caused destruction and mayhem and like blew up hotels or trains, trapped he's people in fire. So he's, he's looking. He's he's literally, literally, so he's literally... <laughs> Literally a glass cannon. He's literally, literally a glass cannon. He doesn't have any powers. He's just got money and shit. And Hang on, he's right, lo- so he's got no powers. He's made of glass. <laughs> I'm so confused. He's looking for a superhero because he considers himself to be like the kid made of glass. He has this power, but to shit power, he wants to find the unbreakable person, Bruce Willis. Right, okay. So he causes all this destruction and damage, yeah. looking for someone to be the sole survivor to find out if that person has superpowers. So he's not like... To do what? What's his endgame? He just wants superheroes and villains. He's a massive nerd. Which is why Unbreakable is cool as shit. Like, Unbreakable is that kind of the underground cult uh, superhero film for people who don't like superheroes but actually kind of do like superheroes. Because it catches you off guard, Hannah. He's not like... He's not portrayed as a villain immediately. He's Mr. Glass. He's come and found Bruce Willis and being like, I have this sad story. This with podcast has just evolved into Ryan explaining the plot <laughs> to Unbreakable. And then he's trying to help Bruce <laughs> what Willis. What movie are we doing this week? <laughs> This glass is exceptional, and I'm just mad about this. There's a little bit because we do get some mint actors, though, doesn't he? Like the cast in some of his films are fantastic. I'll tell you who's not great acting in M Night films, and that's M Night, who always (laughs) acts in M Night films. Because the guy, the guy, the guy. This is the problem. I do think it's a little bit of an ego thing, and I I do resonate massively. Like I'm a massive fan of M Night. In the same way, I would say you're a massive egotist. (laughs) I'm a massive egotist as well. If if you've listened to the podcast thus far, Um, but I I say I absolutely think director. I adore Sam Raimi David Cronenberg David Lynch um, but M. Night is, is also up there with in my top five favourite directors of all time and yet he's made some of the absolute worst films of all time as well did you say this was our lowest rated this is our film this lowest 5% on Rotten Tomatoes which is a bad I'm not gonna lie I'm gonna take this film very personally <laughs> yeah. can you imagine how excited I was though like Unbreakable is one of my favourite movies it is fantastic and I loved it so much in my excitement again M. Night to do an Avatar movie but then again completely failed crippled me looking at this guy's <laughs> filmography as far as who would you pick to make a last Airbender film? First of all, you shouldn't have pick anyone to make a last Airbender film because there's no point or need or necessity to make a last uh, Airbender yeah, film. Absolutely. We will get into why there's no point very shortly because we're going to discuss just what makes the last Airbender a phenomenal TV show. And if you haven't seen it, I probably would recommend turning the podcast off and not ruining anything for you. Don't listen to this. Don't listen to the point five. It's all on Netflix. Yeah, Go now. Please watch mm-hmm. it. Come back after you finished it, but don't ruin anything for yourself. Um, but it just there's the last person I would have picked to direct a last Airbender film is the guy who's known for 
very low budget, very tense, very sleeper kind of um, mystery thriller horror films. Like his entire filmography up to the point were horror films. And he likes to do so. his own twists and stuff. And instead, they're like, here's a bunch of source material. Stick to it for your kids. The twist this time is it's extra shit. So if you were to pick a director for this film, this film was happening regardless oh, of whether you wanted to or this. not. John Favreau. John Favreau. Do you think? Man can do no wrong. He created the, the Marvel man also universe. did the Lion King. Which I haven't seen. <laughs> did he? Did John Favreau do the Lion yeah. King? Yep. Oh shit, okay, I'll take that back. John Favreau song? seldom does wrong. Post-2019 John Favreau. Oh, pre, sorry. Okay, well, John Favreau also created Iron Man, remember? He he, yeah. uh, he gave birth to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know? Yeah. Um, and The Mandalorian is an absolute masterpiece, which is... Um, God, well, he, he co-produced that with Dave Filoni, I believe, yeah. who was also on uh, Avatar. Yeah. He was uh, a big part of the first season of Avatar oh, before awesome. he uh, got the job to go work for uh, Star Wars and do the Clone Wars for them. I mean, that would fit really well because the MCU has a lot of like uh, threads that connect tons of different things together and that eye for detail would have been really appreciated in the movie. Avatar. Like, if you look at, like, the, uh, again, I'm going to go in a bit of a Star Wars geeky deep tangent away. But if you, like, it's just the attention to detail for, like, loads of little throwbacky things and loads of little law building things where the two of them working in tandem together uh, would, you know, they really did the IP justice, I think. And yeah, I think it gives the fans something to keep going back to over and over and over to find out more and more. What's an IP? Uh, intellectual property. IP, for those of you who don't know, means intellectual <laughs> property. <laughs> Thanks, Hannah. <laughs> Um, I, I, Favreau would be a good shot again I, I, in my head I just don't want to see it happen and I never wanted to see it happen I remember seeing this when it came out I think I was 17 years old and I, at that point I hadn't because Ryan it was you who introduced me to the show I hadn't seen anything from the show I which know, was your mistake which was my mistake because <laughs> were, were you guys all fans prior to the movie like were you guys early fans or late fans I discovered Avatar in uni and it was either Jack or Ryan that introduced me to to the, the yeah. series um, I've never seen the film no um, I've never had a desire to see the film because it just, the series ticks every single box I could need for a series of anything ever. I was a big, I used to watch it a lot as a kid on Nickelodeon, but I didn't have Nickelodeon. My granddad had it. Yeah. So I only ever got like scattershot yeah. bits of episodes here and there. I never got to watch it start to finish until it was, um, I think I did watch it for the first time, like end to end mm-hmm. at university or maybe he's in sixth form, you know, um, access to the internet with um, <laughs> internet. perfectly legitimate streaming services oh, yeah. and, um, and, and, you know, legal means to uh, watch things. Thanks, Potlocker. <laughs> um, no, but I think I think what what does resonate me the, the most about watching this, because again, I'm with you guys. I didn't watch this until uni, but it's one of those animated films and you see it and you see it's bright colours. It's very kid friendly. It's very kind of uh, happy go lucky from the outset. But what it does, it's one of those few animated shows that for me anyway, perfectly balances that line between family friendly and in, very intellectually mature as well. Yeah. Like a lot of the episodes have dark, dark themes and very like kind of themes with heavy implications, things that children, it might go over their heads, but it's it's one of those ones where you could sit down at any age and enjoy it and enjoy it on multiple levels as well. What I can't stand when people talk about shows and why they don't, why they won't watch things like The Last Avatar is because it's a cartoon. Yeah, you like, say Like, oh, it's a cartoon and I'm an adult, I'm not going to watch right it. Off. Like, oh. you can do so much yeah. more with an animated series. It gives you so much freedom and expression to do with whatever you like without sort of the constraints of, of CGI and actors yeah. and all that sort of stuff. You can really make the vision in your head and actual reality on the screen. And it's one of the only formats I think you can do that to literally exactly how you picture it. Damn, like, well said. Right. Goddamn, like, yeah. Can we have a round of applause? I'm going to add some sound effects. <laughs> right now. I got a Such a good point, sound. though. <laughs> <laughs> it, only took, it only took nine episodes. <laughs> but could you imagine like a live action Archer, for instance? Oh, it would just be, be it would just be like painful to watch. I think those sort of jokes and that sort of humor just wouldn't land nah. in that live anime, like live action format. It. it would be awful, wouldn't it? My head doesn't it? let me it like picture awful. the anime style in real think, life. I'm just picturing humans with those like really hard <laughs> lines around their face. I think my brain's picturing John John Hamm as Archer for some reason. But yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. But even then, I still don't think he could like carry that. No. Aisha Tyler looks like Lana, to be fair. She could probably do a live-action Lana. Well, she is, yeah. Lana, and, I mean, yeah. rest in peace, Jessica Walters. Can I, can I mention that I'm so I'm still really sad about Jessica Walters. Uh, she was a phenomenal national treasure. Her Lucille Bluth. We talk about everything on this episode. <laughs> Lucille Bluth, rest in peace. You're an absolute legend. But you're right, like animated shows, there are some that you watch and you think there's not there's no necessity here. There's no need to transfer this. Especially when you get a guy who... 
His entire motivation for doing this was that his kids liked it, which is sweet and well-intentioned, but also... And money. He didn't love his kids that much. He was his homework otherwise. I was about to say, didn't you say that yeah. he's never actually yeah, watched the series? He hadn't seen the series prior to directing, which maybe just shows how much M. Night doesn't like his kids. <laughs> maybe he wanted to ruin it for them. He's like, oh, fuck you. Right, if it shuts you up, I'll make the movie. Um, but thankfully, thankfully, um, I mean, in recent years, he has looked back on this and said he's very aware. It's, it's not a case of a... Of a um, of a Verhoeven or a Kelly where he looks back and says "On oh, this, I still really like this he knows that this was a r- massive low point in his career to be fair Avatar fan base like they'll tell him it's, <laughs> yeah they're, they're, they're pretty big they're pretty staunch on what they love like because this film is shrouded we are gonna well, th- this is the problem because I, I think we're all eager to talk about the animated show but I do want to be careful about not blowing our lord too soon because we are going to do a full deep dive is that, is that a problem for you sometimes <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> um before we do, because we are going to get into the point five as to what uh, what our feelings on the show are, we are going to talk a little bit about the extended universe, the spin-off show, Legend of Korra, and a lot of the novels and comic books that I think some of you guys have read. But we are going to mainly focus this episode on the M. Night film. Before we do, I kind of want to chat a little bit about what kind of benders we think each of us would be. <laughs> First of all, benders for our American listeners in England means a gay person. Bender. <laughs> but like in a bit of a derogatory way. So if you hear us laughing. It's died out like, a bit now. I it think. has. It was very like a, like a like an 80s, 90s kind of slang, isn't it? I think middle school. I think I remember <clears throat> the word bender being talked about quite a bit. I did this before you guys, uh, before we went on mic together. I would put... Je- right, tell me if I'm wrong. Because we have already. We might have had many a discussion. I don't, think, I don't think I'm going to be... So I said Jack would be an earthbender. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No 100%. question. Hannah would be a waterbender. Yep. Yep. Ryan would be an airbender. Yep. yep. And I'm a firebender. Yep. yep. Oh, fuck it. Yep. Definitely motivations. Jack is solid and grounded. Hannah is the most in control of her emotions and feels the most freely. You only have the two gears where you're either off or you're 100%. Motivated and passionate, though. I was about to say, like, mine was just an insult, but thanks. <laughs> and I just do what I want. Like, I'm not wearing underwear right now, and that couldn't be fair. <laughs> Shave your, Shave your head. Shave your head. Shave your head. Ryan is also basically like Snow White with animals, so that would just like go in with, with the whole hairband. That thing. was very sweet, thank you. <laughs> Another anomaly in this whole production was just why M. Night was chosen as a director, because again, this guy, no experience with blockbusters, no experience with big budgeted movies. On a budget of 150 million, this one was the lowest income uh, as far as box office returns, making only 40 million back off that. So this one was a massive bomb. I wonder how much the animated series made off of this. Off the movie? Yeah. Do you think a lot of people kind of saw the movie and were then... Do you not think it's like... I've not seen the movie, so I honestly honestly don't know. Like, I know it's bad, but I wonder, for young kids especially... I wonder if there's a debate where people are like, the movie is terrible, please watch... The, yeah, the animated yeah, series. Like, I've pushed of, on people based off them seeing the movie. If there's anything good to come out of this, I just hope that, that it's up to have, the fan base yeah. for the actual OG series, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, this is the problem as well. You get a director who's not, not well known for making big budget blockbusters. And from my recollection of it, when I was 17, it's like well over 10 years ago since I've seen it, it comes across as if someone who has no idea how to make a blockbuster, like it's really poorly paced. The special effects are just horrendous you wouldn't expect 150 million again like with, with catwoman you wouldn't have expected this much money to be spent on such a poor I don't know that cgi product. cat they've got Ooh. they've got some good sets and some of the costumes are nice <laughs> yes i haven't seen this but were you saying it's basically just like season one of the show yeah 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 it's the first book pretty much condensed down into the fine dang they pretty quickly travel to him? the water tribe oh <laughs> sorry <laughs> But like they, they skip all the, the fun stuff where Ang tries Firebend for the first time and burns Katara. Like none of that happens. It's pretty much a straight shot to the air temple. Then I believe they get chased by Zuko and they go straight to the Northern Water Tribe. One of my weirdest memories from watching it, and again, it has it has been ten years, is how underpowered all of the bending actually is. Like there's one of my <laughs> Oh, it's fucking great. I will we'll we'll talk about it afterwards, because we are gonna do some trailer talk very shortly, guys, and then we will watch the film. But I do remember kind of uh, It's laughable, it's pathetically weak. You'll see when we watch how it. most of the bending is portrayed. But going back to your to your point of like why he was chosen I can't even as a director. What my point was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought I thought he wanted to make this. His so was kids, he asked, his kids, he... He, his kids love the show, and I think he went to uh, the studio with the idea to make this film, and they right. were like, right, big problem. You know, it was during the time I think Lord of the Rings had ended. It'd been about five years since Lord of the Rings ended, and a lot of studios were trying to get those big trilogies. I think it came out around about the same time as something like. Um, uh, what's that? What's the uh, the the 
book that we, we really like, me and you, the Northern Lights book. What was there? The Golden Compass. Golden yes. Compass. It was about the same time the Golden Compass came out, the first Golden Compass film. And again, oh God. it yeah. was a lot of studios trying to make mm. series, and it was when they were trying to push for like trilogies. And I, I remember distinctly this one ends on that cliffhanger, like, we'll, we'll make a second one, whereas it almost feels like a build up to the actual film that they want to make. Uh, you get a guy like Shaman who doesn't know the source material, and then you also put on top of that the controversies that then surrounded the film when they they did have some um, whitewashing controversies come out, especially with the the casting of um, Katara and Sokka, who I know are both American actors, whereas obviously the Katara and Sokka in the original uh, animated series they are of Asian descent. I mean, more. I mean, it, it's the Warner tribes Asian. are kind of like Inuit almost, yeah. aren't they? I mean, the, the, that's the one of the other beautiful things about the TV show is how diverse the the mm-hmm. actual characters yeah. are. And then you're right, you get you get to the film and. They cast white actors. They cast kind of the the bargain basement American, which I know wasn't M Night's fault. I know he got a lot of backlash on that. But the actually the only actor who auditioned who actually wanted to cast um, was Noah Ringer, the guy who played Ong. Ang. Ang. Ong. Ang. Ong. I mean, he's an American actor, and as far as I know, his heritage is like English, Scottish, Welsh, that kind of area. Yeah, so they, he said he has some Native American blood, but. But even then, you, you, it's, a, it. it's an Asian property, right? Like, this is. Well, it's, a, it's a half Asian property, anyway. I mean, the animated show, was it not American Ran? Yeah, it's American, yeah, American Ran, Ran, but the. Creators, the, the, right? The, the co-creators. Creators, yeah, the, there's two of them. One of them was American and one of them was of Asian, Asian, Asian descent. descent yeah. I would and love to say they did a good job with the Asian mythology, but I don't know anything about no. Asian mythology, so I can't really comment <laughs> on that, you know? I think, to be fair, I don't know if you can talk about the general... I mean, this this will be more discussed in the point five, but I don't think you can talk about anything outside of the universe because inside that universe, you can obviously see elements of the real life, like, sort of in it, but it's so sort of wrapped up in its own bubble more, yeah, um, that it's, yeah. got its, it's got its own mythology. Do you know what I mean? It builds it all and it builds it all brilliantly and beautifully and it might take sort of tangents from all sorts of places, mm-hmm. but I don't think it, it lends itself to one... To one specific, one specific yeah, culture. I get you. But it, and, and from what I remember, the film just feels like a completely whitewashed, bastardised American um, version of... It, it loses a lot of that identity, I think, that the, that the animated show builds. a lot of characterizations, a lot of those bonds that you see build up over time, a lot of the things they have to face together is just kind of skipped straight over. Before we get into trailer talks, I think I'm, we, we're about ready to do some trailer talk and get yeah. the film on, I think. We want to get this... Yeah, man, half an hour in seems good a time as any to start, <laughs> <don't we? laughs> Before we do, I do want to kind of mention, obviously... There is an, a difficulty and an issue with an, adapting a lot of animated uh, properties to the big screen. We've, we've seen it before with, with shows like Dragon Ball Z. What you were saying, Jack, there's other ones. Ghost well, in the it? Shell, yeah. Death Note, you yeah. know, all of these animes that they've tried mm-hmm. to done a live action adaptation of, which have all been a bit of a flop. Yeah, a bit. <laughs> but again, I think that lends to the creative style that it came from. Mm-hmm. You can do so much more with animation. With animation, yeah. And if you take it into a live action, you've, you've got the limitations of the yeah. current world you live in. Um, you've also got the limitations of a, of a 90 to, to 120 minute runtime as well, yeah. where you've got three seasons of lore, you've got three seasons of character development that you've got to squeeze into a 90 minute film. It's, it's, it's always going to suffer because of it. I think you you see here more than anything, which is surprising because I think this was one of the first ones. Obviously, Ghost in the Shell came out recently. Dragon Ball came out, I think, a few years before, but uh, Death Note came out recently. They're still trying to adapt a lot of anime to the big screen. It just seems massively unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And when, what are they doing recently? They're, they're doing a TV show adaptation of this as well, aren't they, live action? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think the fan base is sort of like... We're, hmm. cautious cautious Wait, is that still live action I thought they yeah, changed yeah no this. no it's, it's going to be live action and, and according to, to what I've read recently the, the different sort of like the ages and all like the dynamics and, mm. and just I get just someone who appreciates the source it. no I, it, it doesn't need it but if you're going to do it get I someone think who there is the a good chunk mm-hmm. of like people who are involved in the animated Last Airbender series who are involved in the project I don't know if that's still the case. I was on the subreddit for The Last Airbender a while ago, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they said someone who was a big part of players left yeah. the project and things, but okay. I, I, I don't know. We'll hold on. Yeah, Dean Martino's do still doing it, so like he's a big driving force. Mm-hmm. And if you have him who did create it, you think he would at least do a better job than M. Night. They still have a TV show format, so they can still run it. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think time. doing it as a TV show format is better because you've got how many minutes of it in the... In and, the... and graphics have came a long way as well. Yeah, like true. You'll, you'll see when we watch the trailer in the movie how bad Bendon is in, oh. in their universe. So if they fix that, they might be on the way. Right. That's a beautiful segue there, Ryan. Thank you very much for lending me that. And let's get on to watching some trailer talk. Yeah. Watching trailer talk? <laughs> I don't know. Listening to trailer talk? Trailer talk. Trailer talk.
are the last of your kind. All that remains of a once powerful nation. I knew you were real. I always knew you returned. So why did he have a fucking cross on tattooed on the back of it? Has <laughs> he got like love and hate on his knuckles and only God can judge me as well? That's just actually, like one of the crypts. Like, that, you don't know. It's just like generic fucking like pretty boy tattoos there rather than like actual like oh my biggest takeaway through that entire trailer is my brain was just this is gonna suck <laughs> I'm not gonna lie out of all the films we have done so far there has been a level of I'm kind of excited to watch how bad this is gonna, this gonna be suck. I'm not there's no personality if, if you told me right now right that's it guys we're actually not doing this I'd be like fine this is gonna suck. <laughs> yeah I'm only here for the point yeah, five really you know what fuck it this episode's yeah. over right we're not watching it we're not home <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Turn it off right now. No, we're gonna we'll troop we'll power through for you guys. Um, I do like how they keep they put M Knight's name in the trailer. I remember at one point of his career, I think it was after this when he made After Earth with Will Smith. They just stopped putting his name in trailers because like he was weirdly this was like three or four movies into him like no longer being a bankable director, but they're still putting his name. But if I was watching this and I was thinking, oh, a new M Night Shyamalan film. This looks nothing like an M Night Shyamalan film. This couldn't be further from looking like an M Night Shyamalan film. Who? <sighs> well, he clearly wasn't, yeah. He was clearly proud enough to put his name on the trailer, wasn't he? Well, I think so. the studios just stopped letting him put his name on the trailer. It was <laughs> like, you are not, you are cinema poison. And this was kind of the last nail in that coffin, I think. Because I'm pretty sure After Earth came out after this. Uh, and that's, I remember they were like, right, you're not a bankable director anymore. You can't, you can make us films, but you can't put your name on. Fuck that noise. There was nothing in that trailer either that lent to sort of like a comedy or a heartwarming aspect. Oh, and I know no. obviously you've only got a trailer. No, I know no, it's only a minute correct. and a half. You are absolutely correct. But that is such a big part of yeah. what Avatar is. Like, that, that just, it just looked like a bit How of a feel about all the white people in is the going to piss you, right? I know we're saying this about whitewashing, right? But I want so Jack Black to play Uncle Iroh. <laughs> That's pretty whitewashing. <laughs> We'd be so good at it. One thing that I do, because I really like the, the actor who plays as you go in this Death Patel, I think he's... Sorry, oh. Hannah's being attacked by some invisible force. <laughs> Bloodbending. <laughs> you gotta feel bad for De Dev Patel yeah the actor who plays Zuko Dev Patel he was the guy in Slumdog Millionaire he was kind of riding a really big high of his career at this point and, and he's a massive fan well into Atler like he loves it and he Surely feels he really bad script. about being Zuko for um, the audience who doesn't know what Atler is and for Liam who doesn't know what Atler is oh it's just a short and Atler version Atler the last airbender Atler, Atler. I sh probably should have been able to figure that out from the context but it didn't <laughs> um, yeah he was a massive fan and he's looked back and said I think his exact words were yeah that was kind of shit wasn't it that was his exact like, look back at the film and bless him if he was a massive fan it would have been nice for someone to get something out of I bet he was so excited as well yeah. for the project yeah and, and you realise it's shit and you're in too deep and you can't really pull out now <laughs> just yeah I think this is the one we're going into with the most amount of just why are we doing this to us? Yeah, just, I'm not looking I see the head in everyone's eyes. <laughs> right, if you, Yeah, I was going to say, if you're a sadist and want to watch the movie with us, I think it's free on Netflix. It better be free. <laughs> well, not free, but available. Yeah, you've got to pay, you've got to pay with your world time. free. <laughs> you've got to pay with your time and your fucking soul. <laughs> Right, let's get this let's over with. Right, guys, yes, we will uh, see you in a few minutes. Turn the turn the podcast off, put the film on if you're a fucking sadist, and we will see you soon. Hello, my Coney Island baby. Hello, my God, I can't remember the words. Well, that was fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> Overall excited for book two. <laughs> can't wait. I had to just give the biggest death stare, like, don't even joke. Come out don't even joke. Now. But I do, I do love how the movie opens. We've just come back from watching The Last Airbender. We're all angry. Um, I, I just, angry. 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 <laughs> I, wanna, I do want to mention, I love how the movie opens with that, like, title screen, book one, because it was so fucking confident. <laughs> I love the level of confidence, the egos involved. Like, yeah, we're going to have a book two and a book three. No. Yeah, that was total bullshit. 90 minutes of just absolute, just, I barely even qualified as a movie. Nah, it was pure boredom. It was pure just scene after bullshit. scene of nice sets. Really that, nice the sets. Only yeah, good thing nice sets. You can talk. Yeah. <laughs> only compliment I have yeah, for that Yeah, the film. only compliment even anyone can level against this film. Um, Really, really quickly, like, that's the first time you two have seen it, right? We've seen this before. And yeah, it's as bad as I remember. As massive fans, like, if you had to kind of... offensive. 
Yeah, I would probably <laughs> say offensive. it is bordering on offensive. It's not like a case of where you're a fan of something you watch and think, oh, that's kind of a shit version. I can't believe I've wasted my fucking Saturday on this. <laughs> okay, the question, Jack. It's cats. sunny outside, Liam. Cats. <laughs> Last Airbender or Cats? You had to pick one. You're in a Cats. Do- I would watch Cats a million <sighs> times over. Jack's not convinced. That kept me awake with pure rage. Yeah. Where- you didn't fall asleep. We didn't even put a bet on. But yeah, so I think, if anything... At least Cats isn't destroying a property you love. Like, at least Cats isn't taking a huge shit over. Like, no one gives a shit about Cats the musical, let's be honest. <laughs> Apart from furries. Do you want to start by doing our 30-second... Not that we want to summarise this film, but 30-second summary? Yeah. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Magnets. Magnets. <laughs> My grandmother used to tell me stories about the old days. A time when peace, when the Avatar kept balance between the Water Tribe, Earth Kingdom, Fire Nation, and Air Nomads. She's going to do the whole show. <laughs> all that all changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements. Is he going to do the whole Only show? Only he could stop the ruthless firebenders. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years have passed, and the Fire Nation is nearing a victory in the war. Two years ago, my father and the men of my tribe journeyed to the Earth Kingdom to help fight against the Fire Nation, leaving me and my brother to look after our tribe. Some people, some people. He's doing the whole show. Some people believe that the Avatar was never reborn into the Air Nomads and that the cycle is broken, but I haven't lost hope. Who is I still believe that somehow the Avatar will return to save the world. Thanks. Uh, thank Yeah, thanks. Uh, could, that wasn't even a synopsis. He turns up 100 years later, they travel about, he learns how to bend and he saves the world. No, 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 he does not learn how to bend. He sort of semi... He, he learns how to move around and make, yeah. None of them could be classed as, like, bending. Right, yeah. Like, first, first big disparaging difference between the, the show and... The, I think the biggest difference between the show and the movie is just how fucking awful all of the bending is. He'll wave his hands around for 30 seconds and then it's like a fart. It's <laughs> just like... <laughs> It's I, that, I it's remember, done. I remember mentioning on, on uh, part one of this podcast, uh, talking about the, the scene in the Earthbending Village where it takes like eight people to slowly move a boulder <laughs> from one side of the room to the next. Like, oh. it's just embarrassing. Oh. Yeah, because it, it's based on like different styles of martial arts in the show. And yeah. I think the distinction between based on martial arts where every other movement will do something versus an actual full martial art routine yeah. to get the smallest effect. If it took that long... To bend anything, it just wouldn't be used. Your would armies be- would be totally different. They wouldn't be built on your ability to bend. And and, and what is with the, the firebenders? Why, yeah. Why can they not <laughs> produce their useless. own fire? Two seconds Warning while I go light my scones yeah. and then we can have a battle. So just for a bit of context there, yeah. in the animated series, firebenders can produce fire. Yeah. Whereas in this, they always need to have a fucking handy torch nearby, which <laughs> totally no nullifies the use of the power, except Iroh, who can because he's OP. Which, but again, it would, that, the they? Fire Nation would be fucking shit. shit. They just, just put it out. Put the fire out. Just put the fire out. Oh shit! You mentioned you picked up on the fact that they're literally worse than stormtroopers. They have no intimidation tactics. They can't. There's like, there's like <laughs> twenty of them versus one small child. And they just and let them like, walk oh, out into no, a corner. Like, oh yeah, you pick your fight. You you have your fight here where we're gonna. Yeah, that's good. None of the nations have a good army. They're all yeah. shit. Okay, let's take it all the way back to the start of the film then. Let's go from, we are introduced to our protagonists, Katara and Sokka. Or is Katara and Sokka? They're two of the names. Sokka. Yeah, Sokka. Maybe they were doing a water pun. Maybe it was a joke. Just went completely <laughs> Sokka. Um, who, J- Jason, was it Jackson Rathbone, the actor who plays Sokka? The one who looks about fucking 30. Yeah, he's he's, a, he's got a full title. Absolutely like. murdered Sokka. Yeah, you can see, like, the beard. <laughs> yeah. Like, he turns and you can see the stubble and things. He's meant to be, like, 16. All uh, of the actors are atrocious. Like, there's not there's not a performance in this that I can point to and say that person wasn't awful. Maybe some of the Fire Nation people, but these these the ones they've cast as the protagonists, they're just the, the most wooden, uninteresting, dead behind the eyes. Like, <laughs> there's no there's no humanity to them. There's no character to them. I don't know whether I can fully blame the actors or whether this is Shyamalan's script or whether this is the direction, direction. as well. Yeah, though, like we, like that was a conscientious choice. There was a scene yeah. we were counting the gun. It was like a 25-second piece of dialogue going, no one's blinked. Nope. No one's fucking no blinked. One's blinked. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is... Until they do all the blink and the ones like, at the end. Shyamalan looked at them more like, wooden than fucking Pinocchio. Well, again, if you're if we're comparing this to... Because this is the one that has the least in common with most of the Shyamalan films, but Ryan, you've seen The Happening, and a lot of these scenes remind me of Mark Wahlberg staring off dead-eyed at a fake plant and pretending to have a conversation with it. It is that, like, almost like Shyamalan doesn't know what a real human being looks like. That that comparison we made on the first couple episodes where it's like, this feels like it's from the perspective of someone who doesn't know how a human actually 
act or like an alien uh, <laughs> directing a film. But they do try and give Sokka the, the comedy relief moments that he would get in the anime. But I do think Jason Rathbone or Jackson two, Rathbone, whatever. Two, two. He gets like I, two moments. He gets two moments. What were those two moments? It's not, like, I, I can't he tried to make a joke at you that I don't remember what it was and... I've literally means, just watched the film and I did something. <laughs> I feel like my memory's trying to blank it Boring. out. I think Sokka was the most butchered <laughs> character in many ways, Probably. though, because in the show he's funny, yeah. he's very intelligent, he's the man mm-hmm. with a plan typically, um, and in that there was just no characterization yeah. whatsoever. He Good wasn't funny. He wasn't smart. Angsty teen. Yeah, he was always just like, "This is a bad idea." This is a bad idea. Oh, you always hot. This is a bad idea. <laughs> that was all he had. He, he, there was no substance no. to him. No, you're right. Sokka is maybe, if, if Sokka is the most butchered, then Katara is the most irritating because I had to pause the film at one point. So I was so <laughs> fucking irritated with how she is just, she is the mayor of Exposition City. She lives dead center in Exposition City and she narrates scenes that we are watching happen in real time. It's a, a little bit later on in the film, but the, when they get to the Northern Water Tribe, when they get to the part where they need to go, they, they're, they're, they're entering the water tribe and they bow to the royal council or whatever. And as they're bowing, Katara's narrated. They bow to the royal saying, council. They bowed. Like, as if it's like, was it like one of those audio descriptive films for blind people, but they just forgot to take the audio description off? I think that's a big problem of this film is telling rather than showing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my dad gave me the scar in an Agni Kai and if I, oh no, an Agni Key, sorry, because they bought <laughs> I don't, I don't know whether it's like a, a, a language barrier thing or what. But no, it's tra- a- Like they missed, like every one is mispronounced from like the English TV show. I don't know whether or not it's a translation error or what. I think I don't it's know more it of a Shyamalan didn't watch the show error. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I said that. Is it yeah, like, just is read it, it off a script and yeah. said whatever popped into his head. Because what is it? They say Agni Key, Ong, Soka. What was the other big one? Eero. Eero, yeah. Uh, which, again, talking about but- uh, characters getting butchered. Well, that, like the Agni Kai thing though, it's like, oh, my dad fought me in a fight and he gave me the scar. And it's like, do you want to... Maybe show us. <laughs> maybe maybe show. That that sounds interesting. Why don't you show us that? Yeah, you no. you have characters, and again, you have characters delivering exposition to characters who already lived that bit of exposition. So it's only for the sake of the audience. You're having these conversations where Zuko uh, is like describing how he got banished. Uh, to, uh, this kid's describing how Zuko got banished, and it's like, yeah, you're Zuko. You know how you got banished. Who is this for? <laughs> it's only for the audience, and it's just so disjointed and so kind of shoved in there just for the sake of exposition because again this is a 22 23 episode season they're cramming into an hour and a half the, oh, it's just got no love it's just got no heart yeah. it's just a what did you say you said it was like it was like a synopsis like a synopsis synopsis thank you oh a summary right it felt like a live action summary of the first yeah. season and that was spot on like I felt nothing and it's like the, the yeah like a live action summary where they got some of it wrong yeah, yeah. You're better off watching season two, episode one of Avatar, where it goes previously on Avatar. <laughs> like, yeah, if you want to catch up on book one. Every scene feels really quickly to get all the way through. You've got a large scene at the beginning at the Water Tribe where they find Ong, and that's that's a good like five minutes of a, a solid set. And then it goes into a montage. Then you've got two minutes at uh, Air Temple. Then you have another montage. Then you get to the Water Tribe and have another montage. Then they have... Even Rocky had a montage. Then, then they have montage. the last battle. <laughs> there are, it is 90% exposition and montages. Then maybe, maybe 5% r- relatively cool shit if you've never seen... I do wonder how... Uh, perspective of this if you hadn't seen the um, the anime. What do you think? You hadn't seen it. Well, I was, I was a teenager as well. I remember it being bullshit, but I'm thinking like, is it more or less bullshit that you have if you have seen the anime first? See, I went into this thinking, the characters are going to be butchered, the characterization is going to be bad, the plot's going to be bad, but at least the fight scenes will be good. <laughs> That's, that was like Sorry. my perspective going into this. I thought, well, at least the fight might be interesting and I couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah, I was, I was worried going into this that they would focus so much on the sort of the fights and the animation of, of the bending that hmm. they would ignore the characters and instead they just ignored both. <laughs> they ignored everything. They ignored it being a movie. Uh, you're right, because none of the action scenes, the big action scenes, the things that you're like, right, we're building up to these, these awesome bending. We have these powers. None of the people... In the fight scenes, use the powers. Maybe, maybe every once in a while, they'll use their bending to open a gate oh. or like put out a light or just something bullshit. And what annoyed me, right? So, Ang never, he never had an issue with water bending, and it yeah. was such a big plot story in that that he had to let go of his past yeah. and grieve and all this sort of stuff because otherwise he couldn't water bend. Bollocks! Bollocks! <laughs> Bollocks! Bollocks is the only way. 
there's this big aspect of the film where you're right, you're expecting the, the, the bending to come in because you're right, you've got this 150 million pound budget. Where was that money spent apart from the sets, which look pretty That cool. was it. That was yeah. the, the, the sets were cool. I literally didn't recognize a single actor in it, so it can't have been on a no. big A-list cast. Nothing massive. Like, apart, Dev Patel. Dev Patel was big-ish at the time, but not huge. He was like maybe on his second big film. Did you say he was, a, he was an Avatar yeah. fan? He was a massive yeah, fan. Fine. And yeah, and again, I think he was trying quite hard, but again, the material that they give him, it's it's hard yeah. to make that sound convincing. He was probably the most convincing of the cast. Yeah. I think him, then Iroh, then the rest are all bottom him, tier. So the least convincing of the cast is obviously... The white people. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely. We need to talk about this. Well, like, Ong is not a mischievous little air spirit that's free and fancy and flighty and likes to run about and cause mischief, but also has to save the world. He's an angsty little kid who doesn't, who spends the entire film trying to get over his past. And you see none of the levity of Ang. Because none character. of the characters have any substance because they're no. trying to cram 24 episodes of television in a fucking hour and a half. I who could have guessed that that wouldn't work? I think it's a stretch even calling them characters. I think that's a j- massive lenience to even call them characters. I would have preferred them just take out all that middle bit where they visit the Earth Kingdom and yeah. the Air Temple. Yeah. Scratch that and just take us our main story points. At least give us some more times getting to know people. Also, let's captive a load of bloody earthbenders and put them yeah. in an earth prison. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just nonsensical walls, decisions. Earth floor, it's fine. They'll never escape from here. But again, it just lends to the fact that you can tell this is a project from someone who has zero interest. His kids liked it. That You're was absolutely his right. Like, yeah. Southland Tales might be shit, but you can tell a lot of love went into it. Yeah. You know, you can it's tell with some of these projects. Shit. Yeah, you can tell with some of these projects. It might not be like critically popular yeah. or commercially popular or, or just popular at all or makes sense. But the director gave a shit yeah. and it's just so obvious that no one on this really gave a toss about it except maybe the set designers yeah. and whoever did the score because the score was genuinely quite good at times. It's fine. There was bits yeah. where you're like, oh, this feels like it's building to something. Yeah, and then it was like the score just... was better than the movie. The score though. didn't know what movie it was scoring. You're right, I was looking at this. <laughs> it was to nothing. stunning, like, gorgeous scene of Ang like, moving his hands around a bit and I'm like, what's happening? Is this thing... The bit, the bit the way they were doing like, this, uh, this, this cheap thing. And Ang were doing this whole Carter routine. And epic sweeping music sound majestic and beautiful. We were waiting for the swirls of water <laughs> to bring us some joy. There was nothing. It yeah, ended you, you, with such a... you were like, did they forget to put the CG in? Like, is there a... But like, speaking of the CG, can we talk about the absolute horror monstrosity that is Appa? Who, who again, like they had, they had a reasonable budget. They had a decent, like the fur technology looked fine. Like when the was, actual body looked okay. And this was when? 2011, did you say? 2011, yeah. So CGI was pretty competent yeah. back then. Yeah. yeah. Was this like, when did actual, like, Blue Man Avatar come out? That was 20, uh, 2009, right? So that's the benchmark, yeah, because that was like yeah. the benchmark yeah. for CGI, Blue wasn't Man. it? <laughs> yeah. Well, how else I'm would you... I'm just thinking you Tobias from... myself. You know, we're on a podcast talking about a different film called Avatar. How else was I meant to... That's a good point. But you know, that was like the benchmark for yeah. CGI, wasn't yeah, yeah, it? That yeah. was like how good it can be. You changed be. the game, really, yeah. And then you see this two years later, which, again, it doesn't have the excuse of a small budget like some of the films have discussed. No. This was a big budget film, and the CGI was just... Dog shit. Appa needed to be put down immediately. <laughs> he had a face like the where the wild things are. Yeah. And then the rest of it is limp. It just, the proportions were wrong. Momo didn't look as bad. Mm, it wasn't it, great. It was just the faces. The bodies looked okay, yeah. but the faces were just fucked. Horrifying. Absolutely. Like the same as the CGI bending though. Like it, it's so slow moving. Everything's so very direct. It feels like they couldn't get the CGI to manipulate things. Like, oh, we can't make a torrent of water twist in a certain way because the CGI won't allow that. Or we can't make fire spread. It has to go in a very specific pattern, otherwise it's going to get away from us. The main issue you can derive from it is the fact that, yeah, the animated TV show is bright, it's beautifully drawn, it has that clear line style, and it's an absolute pleasure to watch. And it's perfect blend the very between nature fun of, and yeah. adults. Yeah. It is the very nature of animation to make that absurd visual style and those absurd visuals. Those un- the, the unachievable action sequences that you can only get in an animation plausible, whereas here they do try and make the 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 action sequences lavish and they, they make them kind of want to stand out a little bit there's but there's also doesn't... some bad choices in but there it... though like when they go to kick a pebble it takes five kicks <laughs> on, on the first kick raise the pebble second kick send it flying third kick get another one in the air don't wait 10 moves into doing something before you give us something visual to yeah. look at. And the powers are neutered to the point of being embarrassing. You're right. Like what it takes four people to uh, to do here, one person could have easily done. Azula what? can basically fly. <laughs> 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 yeah, she can. She can. <laughs> but when you, when you go 
go like in in the series when you go into each of the kingdoms you can see how the kingdoms sort of thrive off their bending like mm. so you go to the earth kingdoms and they've got that whole parcel system where they say the earth bending takes it up and gravity takes it down and like you, they, they work to their advantage because it is a part of who they are like bending isn't something that they have to do a dance so that they get a little flame like it's a yeah. It's an actual sort of like an extension of them. Yeah, and there was just life. none of that in this. Like, There's no attention to world building whatsoever, really. All. The no, only bit you see is them closing a water gate behind them. That's the most, <laughs> that's the most water like attention. Yeah, but that's the best bit you get in terms of like world building attention yeah. to detail. The use of their bending as part of their civilization and their social hierarchy. You're right, Hannah. It's, it's just loveless, isn't it? There's no attention to detail. And, and attention to detail is what made the show so yeah. fucking good. Yeah. I think it's what you can... The only way you can truly adapt a source material with such lavish lore in it is mm. if you are a fan of it. That is the biggest takeaway. You write, Jack, but before, you, you can tell Shyamalan has no love for this and it's just nah, an absolute travesty. It's an empty mess. Can we talk really quickly about the big bad of this? Because we, we led oh. to believe that Zuko's the big bad <laughs> through a lot of it. It's kind of the mis- misdirect, but the real big bad, Fire Lord Ozai, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. being the least intimidating villain of okay. all time. You don't um, see his face in the first season. It uh, might be the end of the first season, you see, but throughout the actual episodes of the show. It's like a silhouette. It's just a silhouette. Yeah, Surrounded because it's, by flames. Again, it's given that, ooh, really sinister vibes. This guy, you find him walking down a corridor and he looks like he's like Dave, 43, <laughs> drives a minivan, has four kids, works in like a middle management IT job, and lives tire. like lives in the suburbs. Yeah. You know, like yeah, a bit of a spare tire. Yeah. Likes to barbecue, likes to watch a football. You know, fucking. There's like, no vacuous. There's no threat. We're led it. to believe this man has conquered the most of the world and has studied martial arts every day of his entire life. And he's just walking around like, oh yeah, I've got his barbecue this afternoon. His body language, his presence. <laughs> is appearance there's nothing threatening about him at all and it's, it's really really disappointing because he is done so well by Mark Hamill Mark Hamill so yeah. sorry am I not allowed to mention Star Wars again when I, <laughs> I wasn't the one who came at you remember you who did that it was Hannah Mark Hamill is a superb voice actor though as, like, mm. as we talked about in the mm. Batman series yeah, he's, he's fantastic. an unreal joker and he has that gravitas and that real threatening voice and again like you go to see him in the palace and there's just like that wall of fire yeah. behind him and it's like <laughs> fuck you know and in this it looks like a room divider it looks like or like or like a privacy screen that a lady yep. might get changed behind it like an old timey it looks shit yeah it feels like he's gonna get voted out let's be honest the true villain of this film is M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's, it's just the most meta film ever where we're just meant to root against M. Night and just hate everything it, there's there's no real positives apart from the sets which we yeah, were mentioning but that's expected in a 150 yeah, million absolutely. it's not a positive it's just you hit the bare minimum that's right? just well due diligence yeah, yeah that's just... I honestly thought, though, as they were going through it, well, okay, they've, they've sped past this. We've montaged through an hour, right? <laughs> so we're, we're clearly going to build hour, to yeah. something. And it gets to the last, the final the final fight scene. And, and in the first book, it is an epic episode. We like, watched it. So we put the scene on afterwards to, just, to remind yeah. ourselves of how good it is. But again, I think what a lot of the cartoon does and what a lot of the anime does is it has that interesting visual style where it's not afraid to put something that might be slightly absurd or might be slightly silly in a live action mm-hmm. setting onto the screen. And it doesn't look silly. It looks fucking badass. But they've spent their time so poorly. Uh, you've got an hour and 40, which isn't long enough to tell a good story like this anyway when you try to yeah. do a big fantasy yeah. epic. And then they focus on things like, oh, we'll do the blue spirit thing, but it doesn't add anything to the plot, really, in no, this film. I was Why expecting them spe- to do exposition on that, and for Zuko to be like, oh, I only rescued the Avatar so I could capture myself to regain my honour, and that didn't come up. No, and Just like, I don't think he that- asked him to, I don't think he said that he needed to regain his honour once. He said he needed to regain his power. Mm. But again, why didn't you spend that time actually doing, you know, character development? or world building, or scene setting, or something that actually makes us engage yeah. and engrossed in this world. Because I couldn't give two flying fucks about what happened to anyone no. in that. The audac- and you're right with, like, we just, we briefly rewatched like, bits of, yeah. like, the final of book one there, just to recap and just remember how good it could have been. And that bit with Zhao, where he gets taken and Zuko tries to save him, and again, it's showing that redemptive arc, that good side of him, and there's just zero characterization in this. So I thought when they got to the Water Tribe, they would spend more time exploring that and letting us see what happens while they're there because this is clearly what they've been gearing up to because we've skipped everything else in 30-second <laughs> snippets. But then Katara says, oh, yeah, Sokka and Yue start getting sweet on each other. We spend some time here. We get good. While they've been here for quite some time, Ang finally gets a chance to actually 
do some bending and spa, which he's never done while he's been here, apparently. Skip through all that again. Skip, skip, skip. And then we get the conclusion. Yui dies. And I'm like, I've seen her twice. Yeah. She said about four words. Why do I give a shit if she's dead? The absolute audacity they have to try and get us to believe that Yui and uh, Sokka have any romantic in- <laughs> connection whatsoever after the 10, 10 seconds we get to spend with them on screen. After the smile they've shared. Yeah, we're meant, to, we're meant to have this <laughs> massive emotional response to her sacrifice. And it's just like, right, okay, bye. Then again, like... I can think of a few examples. The first one that springs to mind is like, what was his name? Haldir in Helm's Deep or something in Lord of the Rings. That elf, he's on screen for about five minutes. But you give a shit when yeah, he dies. It's yeah, not yeah. impossible. Because they're real people. But they're, like, they're, they've made them believe in... Yeah, it's not It's not like having no screen time necessarily means you can't have an yeah. emotional response to that. It felt, it felt deep when that happened. It felt sad and somber. With that, you just couldn't give a, a rat's ass oh, about that. Because they were trying you? to force us to catch films for her very quickly mm-hmm. and unsuccessfully. It was heartless and flat. It missed, like, everything that Avatar is about. It missed compassion. It missed friendship. It it didn't go into, sort of, like, the philosophical questions that Avatar no. gets you to, to. Because that's what's so beautiful about Avatar. It, it strings that very fine line between, sort of, some very, kind of... Mature, yeah. Yeah, issues and moral grey areas, but also that funny comedy aspect of it all in the series. It all blends together brilliantly, whereas this was just... It was flat. It, 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 nothing. We are going to have to talk about the elephant in the room. And that is... The movie. Well, the movie... <laughs> the fact that... Sean, that all the main cast are white. Yeah. And all Sean the bad Mann guys cast, are... All, it's so... And I know we are a room of uh, white people and we probably aren't the best authority on this, but it's so uncomfortable that all the all the yeah. good people are white and all the bad Especially people are people of colour. in the Southern Water Tribe. I think that might have been the it's biggest... So, it would, I don't even... I don't know if it would be as off-putting if originally, like, obviously, Soccer and uh, Katara are meant to be Inuit. They, they definitely come from that kind of... Uh, area of the world and then Ang is meant to be of Asian descent but no mm-hmm. white people they're just white people what was weird as well though is literally everyone else in the village were like looked yeah. Inuit yeah. or like of that sort of but they weren't main characters not the main family but then it's them and their white <laughs> nana who just like <laughs> and it's just it just feels so out of place doesn't it and then yeah you said it like every other na- like everyone else who's not a main character yeah. is of some sort of of colour of some description yeah and it, it's, yeah, it's just fucking classic whitewashing, isn't it? The main cast are white, despite the fact it makes no sense. <laughs> the film was made by the Aryan nation of film. It's just <laughs> so fucking awful. Uh, you're right, but again, like, you think a director who's, who's a American Indian, like, he's kind of, I think he made, his first film that he made was about his experiences in, uh, this was before Sixth Sense, about his experiences as an Indian in America. And you think he would have some kind of sensitivity about this as a topic? Like, it just feels so... A, gr- a poorly handled, let's say. It feels mm-hmm. like it's just... I don't think it was necessarily meant to be outwardly offensive, per se, but it definitely feels like it's a misjudged moment that came off just awful. It was just shocking to see on screen, though, wasn't it? Like, it was it was sort of jarring yeah. to see... This film's in a really weird mind-time warp in my head. In my head, there's, like, three scenes. You've got the beginning where they're in the Water Tribe, yep. and gets captured... Yep. And then you have the end, and then everything in between that... I couldn't tell you what happened. It's just kind of like... It was a bit... They, went, bit. they went to two air temples. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then... Oh, fuck, yeah. And then there was a montage of them, like, doing stuff, and then, yeah, skip to the Water Tribe. Sorry, skip I to the... the first air temple. Yeah, this is easily... Skip to the North Pole. The worst film we've done. I think it's the worst film we've done. It's I the think worst I would, film I think we've done. with you, Hannah, I think I'd rather watch Cats again, because at least Cats has that, like, fascination value of what, uh-huh. is, what is happening, why is this amalgamation of horrible colours on my screen, whereas this is just dull in every aspect. I've always said when it comes to sort of like films and such, there is a certain like, as long as you are entertained in some sort of way, then it it, it is tick some sort of box. It is entertainment at the end of the day. That was not entertainment. Again, I feel like it's a stretch to even call this a movie. This is this is in its most literal sense. Yeah, it's literally a movie, but I can't... Um, there's no like magic or joy or anything that you'd expect when you go see a movie or even humour. Yeah. It's, it's a mo- it's a moving picture, but I don't want to call it a film because again, like on a scale of one to ten, this is at least a minus four as far as entertainment values. Like it's just, it's just abysmal. There's yeah. nothing to it. I didn't laugh. I didn't cry. I wasn't entertained. I didn't care about the characters. Come on, please stop talking about this film. I'm honestly yeah. yeah. done so I can do the point. Should we wrap up? Yes. Should we wrap up? Let's do a quick wrap up of our final thoughts. <laughs> Favorite scenes, everybody. <laughs> yeah, the credits, the end. Yeah, <laughs> the credits. I quite like the bit where Katara hit the ball and just slapped her back and uh, just bitch slapped her away. Actually, no, the five airbenders with the one the With one, the one rock, the yeah. One rock. yeah. Oh, the earthbenders. That yes. was the only time any of us laughed, so there was that element. Yeah, I guess that made us laugh. But again, un- unintentionally. Yeah, incredibly incredibly dull the entire way through. Would, would hesitate to call it even a movie. Yep. That's my oh. takeaway. 
Boo. Big massive boo. It, it's not, you're right, it's not even enjoyable in the sense of you can shout at the screen because we were fucking shouting at the screen the entire time like, wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But there's no there's no joy even to get from that. It's just frustration. Yeah, it fucking sucks. I wouldn't tell anybody to watch this because they're going to have a good time watching that how bad it is it is just either dull or if you're a fan infuriating yeah, and I that's 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 the only two emotions you can come away from this film with i can't even as an m night fan say there's anything there's no m night flair to it there's no m night stamp on it even for him who's yeah fair enough he's egotistical he's narcissistic or whatever <laughs> even he wouldn't act in this movie even he was like this is the one where i'm not gonna do a cameo <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to be seen in this horrible movie. <laughs> this movie I'm making. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Don't watch it. Uh, anyone want to wrap up with any, any more thoughts? Or are we ready? To, uh, no, nah, please, um, please let it end. Way, I will say, I feel bad for the actress who plays Azula. You see her at the end. She gets a big gear up, like, oh, she's coming in the next movie, guys. Again, I love the confidence this film has. <laughs> totally misguided confidence. Her dreams were destroyed before they began. Yes. That was it. Like Lord of the Rings and the Dark Knight and stuff. It's like, yeah, trilogies are the. Fun. <laughs> Trilogies are where the money's at, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Watch anything else. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, next week we'll have our point five where we cover the uh, full, yeah, the exciting one where we cover the TV show and a little bit of the history of the uh, the, the wider universe of Avatar. Uh, the week after that, fingers crossed, we will be joined by our wonderful friends over at the Warm Tin Podcast. Uh, we're getting Tom on to watch one of my favourite horror films of all time, 13 Ghosts. Yes, we're going back to an experience that you will at least enjoy because it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> he hasn't seen this yet, has he? I don't think these two have seen it either. Tom hasn't nope. seen it. I know Tom hasn't seen it. I know these two haven't seen it. It's very much just bonkers for the sake of being bonkers. <laughs> right. time. Yeah, I haven't have watched. I haven't watched The Green Mile. I haven't watched. <laughs> you haven't watched I, haven't, I haven't watched Shawshank Redemption. But I'm having to watch this fucking bullshit. Girls, baby. I'm regretting my choices. So, uh, yeah, but thank you everyone for listening. Uh, thank you for continuing to listen to us. We are just getting more and more of you listeners every single time we post an episode and it just makes me so happy. Uh, do give us some love on, over on Instagram. I'll be entirely honest, Instagram's kind of the only place I, uh, I actually <laughs> advertise anymore because most of you guys are on Instagram. Uh, but if you also have Twitter, you can follow us there and Facebook, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, let's just put this horrible, horrible nightmare out of our minds and let's get some... Let's get some fun. Let's yeah. get some fun. Let's go out and drop the sun for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Next week is going to be epic. See you then. Bye.